I want to have a look at a story today, and I want us just to think right at the very start of this evening about what I was saying last week about... You know, so often we can look and think and listen and say, wasn't that sermon great for somebody else, okay? Um, And we wish they'd been here to hear it. Um, But what I'd love us to do tonight is just to think, what is God saying to me um, in this passage this evening, in this bit that we're going to have a look at today? Okay, so it's a story that we've had a look at before looked at before, um, and I just want us to think about this. Um, I know, as Matt said, it's not our first one of the new year, but it still feels New Year-like. So um, I'm just, as we start this year, um, have a think about what God is asking of you tonight, because it's for everybody this evening. So it's a story um, about a young Jewish girl um, who became the queen of Persia and saved her people from a plot to destroy them, okay? Um, Whatever kind of story you like, so I don't know what books you read at home or if you read stories at all. Some of you might read romance, some of you might read, I don't know, murder mystery or horror books even. Uh, Whatever books you're kind of into tonight, this story has it all, okay? It has all the twists and turns and um, blood and guts and the list goes on, okay, tonight um, as we look at this story, I'm not actually going to open the Bible and read from the Bible this evening, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell the story, okay? Tell the story as it happens, Um, but if you want to follow along, go to the book of Esther and we'll start and we'll kind of work our way through um, the chapters. So Esther comes at a very interesting time um, in biblical history. Okay, so Esther um, comes when the Jewish people, okay, they have been in exile in Persia. Okay, that's where some of them are. And at at this stage, some have returned to Jerusalem, and some are living in freedom um, in Jerusalem, and they have a reasonable amount of freedom. However, there's some like Esther who are still in this place of exile. Okay, they're in a minority group. Okay, and the Jews faced a very, very difficult and a very hard time. They were treated with suspicion, and some of them faced threats even on their lives. Okay, it's difficult being in a minority group. Okay, this is where some of them found themselves. So we find ourselves here at Esther chapter one. And I'm going to tell the story, and hopefully, you know, as we look at God's Word, God's Word promises that as we look at the Word, it comes alive and it cuts through right to our very hearts and souls and beings and to our spirits. So we're going to really pray that that happens tonight as we look and listen at God's Word. So in Esther, we've got the king, okay? So here's our first character, the king of Persia, this guy with a very funny name. If you're following it along, you might like to read it to me, if anyone can pronounce it. Andy Wade, our Bible scholar, do you know his name? Xerxes, okay? Xerxes, let me say it like that. It's a very strange name. Um, And he threw this massive party, okay? He had a massive banquet and a party and a celebration. And this party was so long, it lasted for six months, 
Okay? Now, I love a party. If you know me, I love a party. I love good food. I love being with people and my friends, and I love to dance. Okay? I know, looking at me, you might not think it, but I do love to dance. I love to go out and have a good dance. Okay? Last night, we were at the jazz orchestra, and everyone was sat behind the tables, and I was thinking, I just want to get up and have a little boogie. Um, but yeah, you just, you know, you just want to dance. But after six months, I think I might be flagging. Okay? I think even I might be flagging after after six months. And in the last seven days of the celebration, the king decided, actually, I want everyone at my party. So he thought, okay, I'm going to invite everyone, all everyone from the city to come um, to our party. I want everyone around just to come and have an open door where everyone can party. And it says that it was a lavish party. The drinks were served in golden vessels and the royal wine was lavished out. This was a big celebration, okay? And I imagine it was probably quite messy after that amount of time. You know, our street pastors with the flip-flops and lollipops could have been outside the door of that palace for the party, okay? This was a long party. And after seven days of partying, the king, he decided to call for his queen, his queen Vashti, that was her name. He wanted to show her off. She was beautiful. He wanted to show everyone that he was punching well above his weight, okay? He wanted to say, look at this woman, look at this beauty who I have. Aren't you so jealous of my beautiful queen that I have? Um, and she's mine. He wanted everyone to ogle her. But there was a problem. There was a problem. They sent for Queen Vashti and she refused. She said, no, goodness me, <laughs> what a thing to do. She said, no, and he was furious, okay? He wasn't just angry, he wasn't just mad. It says he was boiling with rage inside that she had dared to say no to his commands. He was so, so angry. So what happened? Queen Vashti was instantly removed. She had her queen ship, is that what you call it? being queen, removed, taken away from her. She can no longer be queen anymore, and she was banished to come before the king. She can no longer come before the king. Now, there was a real fear in the land that this might get out about what Vashti had done. And uh, they thought, actually, what's going to happen now is that all the wives are going to start rising up against their husbands <laughs> and start saying, no, I refuse to do what you asked me to do. So they actually sent out like um, a warning that there should be no defiance against your husbands um, and that wives should obey what they were saying. There was actually um, a warning sent out for respect. And the king, he was unable to spend much time on his own, okay? Poor guy, poor king, couldn't, couldn't cope um, on his own. So he decided that he needed to find a new queen, okay? It was time to find a new queen, all right? Now, he was not a fantastic catch this king, he was not someone that you'd want to take home to your parents and show off. He was quite a dictator. He was, you know, quite um, a big head. You know, look at the way he treated Queen Vashti. Um, so the best thing he decided to do was to hold a beauty pageant to find a new queen. Because, of course, we all know that beauty on the outside is far more important than your character on the inside, don't we? No. Um, okay, so um, the king, he sends out his servants... And he says to them, off you go. 
Go off, go off out in all of Persia and find the most beautiful virgin girls that you can to come and stand before me, come back to the palace, and I will choose which one I want to be my new queen. So off they go, and they bring in all these young, beautiful girls, um, and they have to go through this beauty routine, okay? They have this beauty routine that they have to go through before they meet the king, Now, this would be my worst nightmare, okay? It may surprise you, I'm not very much of a girly girl, okay? I like to paint my nails, but I've never had a manicure, okay? I've never had a massage, I've never really done anything like that at all. The closest I get to a beauty routine is to have my hair cut, and even then, by the end of half an hour, I'm like, would you please take your hands off my head? And my hairdresser's like, I've got to finish, I'm sorry. And I get all, like, tense, and I'm like, would you get out my personal space? You're inviting me. Anyway, that's about the closest I come. Okay, now back to Esther. <laughs> okay, they had all been beautified. Okay, and um, once the girls had been beautified, what the king would do is he'd call them one by one to spend the night with him. Nothing dodgy about that at all. Okay, one by one they would come and spend the night with him. Now, in comes our main character, Esther. She is beautiful. She is gracious. She is humble. She is absolutely beautiful. Esther was one of the girls that had been taken into the palace. And Esther was a young Jewish girl. Her parents had died. She was an orphan. She'd been taken in by her cousin Mordecai. And he had raised her as his own in her home. The man put in charge of preparing the girls was called Hegai, and he paid special attention to Esther. He really saw her beauty. And, you know, he gave her, I don't know, Clinique and Estee Lauder, while the others had Nivea and Oil of Olay, okay? Um, He gave her all the special treatments and special moisturizers and gave her a little bit more food on her plate um, than the others. He really spoiled her. However... Esther held a secret that was deep inside her heart. Esther was a Jew. She was a Jewish girl. And Mordecai, her cousin, had told her, do not tell anyone. Do not tell anyone, because it will be dangerous for you. It may even cost you your life. Well, eventually, it was Esther's turn to spend the night with the king. It was her turn. And immediately, he falls for her. It's like, whoa, who is this girl? She's beautiful. She's the most wonderful, beautiful girl that I've ever seen in my life. You know, guys, come on. You've all had that feeling at times when you've seen that girl and you go, whoa, whoa, she's amazing. She's just jaw-droppingly beautiful. He could not believe his luck. His eyes popped out of his head. This gorgeous girl that was standing before him, the most beautiful woman that he had ever laid eyes on. And the Bible tells us, and the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that immediately he set the royal crown upon her head and declared her the queen instead of Vashti. Esther became queen. And so the king did what the king does best. He threw a massive feast, a massive banquet, a massive celebration that the new queen had been found. And they had this huge time of celebrating. However, all of this time, Esther was keeping a secret deep within her heart. 
she was a Jewish girl. She hid her true identity, just as her cousin Mordecai had told her to. She knew that it would be dangerous if the truth was discovered. Now, this is where the plot really starts to thicken, okay? Now, some of you love to watch films. I know that. You tell me about different films you've watched. And you love mystery programs and you love murder mysteries and working things out. I am completely, you know, hopeless at that. It is not one of my skills at all. I'm pretty simple when it comes to watching TV and I spend my whole time... I am one of those most annoying people who sit next to Martin and go, what does that mean? What does that mean? Tell me what just happened, what happened, what's going to happen, what happened there, you know? Like, I just can't work it out. I just don't know what happens, but some to me seem like they're speaking in a different language and I have to just look and, like, work it all out. Well, this is a bit one of those stories, so listen up. This is my warning, listen up. One night, Esther's cousin, Mordecai, he's sitting by the gates of the palace, the king's palace, and he overhears a conversation by a couple of the guards. And the guards are saying that they're going to plan to assassinate the king. They're going to kill the king. And Mordecai thinks, I've got to let the king know. So immediately he calls Esther and he tells Esther the plan, that the the king, they're going to kill the king. And Esther goes and she tells the king. And immediately, here's the blood and guts. Both guards are executed by hanging. Okay, he gets them hung straight away. And at this moment in the story, Esther's queen, Mordecai's responsible, he's saved the king, he's done this amazing thing, he's gone and told the king about the plot, and he's saved the king's life. But remember, no one knows that Esther is a Jewish girl. And the story at this point is a little bit like an elaborate game of chess, where God's got all the pieces and he's moving them all into the right place to accomplish his purpose, and his task. A little bit like the song we just sung, even though we don't see it, you're working. God was working behind the scenes like a game of chess. Now here's the next week, a bit piece in the puzzle. In walks Haman, okay, the next character. Haman is the most powerful official in Persia. He's just under the king, Okay, and to be honest, he's pompous. If we thought the king was bad, this bad, this guy's really bad. He's a pompous, big head um, who sort of lords it everywhere. And he wanted Mordecai to bow down to him, and Mordecai refused. He refused to bow down to him, and Haman got mad. He got really angry. He got really, really angry. And he didn't just boil with hatred for Mordecai, but he boiled with hatred for the whole of the Jewish people, all the Jewish people, all of the Jews in Persia. He really boiled with hatred. And so he came up with an amazing plan. He came up with a plan. He thought, I know what, why don't we just wipe out all the Jewish people in Persia? Why don't we just wipe them all out, get rid of them? And so he went to the king and he told the king this. And he sold the king the story by, uh, he sold the king his plan by saying to the king, if we wipe out all the Jewish people, then we can take all their wealth, we can take all their money, and I can give it to you. I can give it to you and I can give it to your kingdom and we can have all of this extra money. And the king thought, what a great plan. We'll have all this wealth. And the Bible tells us that the king and Haman did what they did best. They sat down and had a feast and drank together. 
That's what they tended to do. When Mordecai and the Jews, when they heard of the king's decree, of the plan that they had, Mordecai went into mourning. He went into mourning. And the Bible tells us that he tore up his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes and he wailed. He wailed and wailed outside the city. He cried out. He wept for his people. He wept for his people. And Esther had been told about this, that Mordecai was acting in this way and she was concerned about him. She wanted to find out what had happened to my cousin. And Mordecai, he knew, he knew, he believed that Esther could help. He believed that Esther was the one that God had placed in the right place at the right time. And so he spoke, he sent a message to her, but she was so afraid. She was so scared about going before the king. Because unless the king raised his golden scepter, no one was allowed to approach the king. No one was allowed to go before the king unannounced. In fact, if you did, you would be put to death if he hadn't raised his golden scepter. She was so afraid. God said he promised that he would save the Jewish people. He had made that promise earlier in the Old Testament. Mordecai saw that Esther was God's instrument that God's perfect place at the right time. He knew that she could bring about the salvation of the Jews. And we have to remember that they didn't know the end of the story. We sat here tonight might know the ending of the story, but both of them were acting with courage, knowing that they could have lost their lives, that they could have lost their lives. Finally, Esther did decide to help even though it was a real possibility that she could have lost her life. She asked the Jewish people, she said to them, fast, get on your knees, you fast and pray for three days. For three days, fast and pray. And this was the turning point in Esther's life. Listen up, this was the turning point in Esther's life. She went from being a young girl at the mercy of the king and of her cousin to become a young woman, making decisions and being in control and saying yes to God. You know, this evening, I believe we all face those turning point moments in our lives. Those defining moments, those moments that can change our lives forever, that can completely transform our lives in a moment. I wonder if you're facing a defining moment in your life tonight. Once the period of prayer and fasting was over, Esther went before the king and he raised his golden scepter, sparing her life. Remember what the Bible said before, the king deeply loved Esther. He deeply loved her, so was keen to grant Esther whatever she had wished for. And instead of just blurting out her problem, Esther had her own plan, She said to the king and to Haman, because she knew they liked feasting, come to a banquet. When we set out a banquet, let's have a banquet. She knew they loved a good feast. And at the banquet, that first banquet, she said to them, hey, this is great, let's have a banquet tomorrow too, before she asked her question. 
And at this point, Haman was so full of rage still and anger and bitterness for Mordecai and for the Jewish people. Do you know what he had done? It, we read that he'd set up a 75-foot pole ready to impale Mordecai. How horrific is that? It's horrific. He was filled with anger and rage. And now it gets really tense. You've got Haman in this place of anger and bitterness and rage against the Jews. You have this banquet coming the next day where Esther's going to tell and reveal Haman's plan to the king. And it's the night and the king is in bed. He's in bed and he's supposed to be asleep. But he can't sleep. He's got insomnia. He's struggling. He can't get to sleep. He's battling in his mind. But it wasn't just that he couldn't sleep, but that God kept him awake. God kept him awake. God kept him from sleeping. And he kept reminding the king over and over again that it was Mordecai. It was Mordecai who had saved his life. It was Mordecai who had revealed this God's plans and that he had saved the king's life. And the king became so disturbed. He was thinking, what did I do to Mordecai to thank him? What, how did I show him my thanks? And he realized I didn't do anything. I never did anything to thank Mordecai. So in the morning, you can imagine Haman's face when he lavishes his thanks upon Mordecai. When he gets a royal robe, puts him in it. Can you imagine Haman's face? Anger raging even more before this second banquet when Esther's about to say the plan. Haman was so angry. That evening at the second banquet, I imagine they kind of rolled in with the amount of food that they had in their tummies already. Esther revealed her true identity to the king. She revealed that she was a Jew. She revealed that the plan would mean that she would be killed as well as all the Jewish people. She revealed that Haman was just after the money and it was his anger and bitterness that was driving him. And the anger in that moment switched from Haman over to the king. And the king got up and it says he went and stormed out the room. And Haman pled for life, for his life to Esther. How the tables have turned. How things have changed. It's Haman now begging for his life. When the king returned, he had Haman arrested. Haman met his gruesome end on that very pole that he had put up for Mordecai. Haman came to the end. To save the Jewish people, the king allows Mordecai and Esther to write a new law that would save the Jews. Queen Esther and Mordecai, they're given Haman's estate. Look at the transformation, the upside-down change. They get all the wealth. They receive it all. They were honoured with royal robes. And Mordecai is placed as second in charge, only under the king in Persia. So here we are this evening. What a story, what a turnaround, everything. God turned it round for his good. Thousands of years later, and we're listening to a story, the story of Esther, and we ask ourselves, what can we learn from this passage? What is God saying to us as individuals from this passage? 
You know, from a human perspective, we don't read of any great supernatural miracle happening in this story. What I mean by that is we aren't looking at a story where there was a great healing or something that we could see that couldn't be done humanly. But what was happening is that God was working behind the scenes. He was working it all out. It was miraculous what was going on behind the scenes. And he chose an unlikely hero in a young Jewish girl. He chose an unlikely hero. Do you know this evening that just like Esther, every single one of us, not one of us is disqualified from this, every single one of us, God wants to use and equip and prepare for a task that he has ahead of you, for something he wants to use you to do. Often we're trying to get ourselves out of a bad situation or remove ourselves from problems. And sometimes there's a time for that. But we also need to recognize that God prepares us through the difficulty, through those difficult times and through those hard situations. God is in control of our lives. The word providence means to see ahead of time to see ahead of time. God sees what is coming and he sees what is in, in detail. So each of us individually sat here tonight, God sees the future of your life and he sees it in detail. We see that in the book of Esther. He was preparing her for that moment, for what was ahead. As we look at this extraordinary story um, of her life, of the life of Esther, we see her putting it all on the line. She put not just her time or her money or things that we sometimes talk about, she put her life, her whole life, she put it all on the line. Right at the crucial time, she put it on the line. And the book of Esther is all about how God placed the right woman in the right place at the right time. That's where he placed Esther. And do you know that God has placed every one of you here this evening in the place you are for such a time as this? He has placed you where you are for such a time as this. There are those defining moments in our lives. Just like Esther, she had the choice to make that crucial decision to step up and to do what God was asking of her. We all have those defining moments in our lives. We all have those defining moments, but the choice is ours as to what we do with them, as to what we do with those defining moments. We can find God's purpose and dedicate our lives to his glory or we can choose just to chase after the empty promises that this world gives us that are never going to bring satisfaction. At the end of the day, it's our choice. The greatest demonstration of God accomplishing his plans through everyday, ordinary means is through Jesus' death on the cross for each one of us. Peter said in Acts, Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God, God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. From a human perspective, nothing miraculous happened. 
But then three days later, the miraculous happened. Jesus came back to life again. He was resurrected. God was at work, working everything out in the background. He was at work, working it all out. And why was he doing that? He was accomplishing salvation for you and for me. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Jesus died on the cross and came back to life three days later so that we don't have to face death, but we can have the hope of eternal life and to know life in abundance here on this earth too. Maybe this evening, as I come to a close, you are facing a defining moment. This is the moment that you need to say yes to Jesus that you want to know Jesus as not only your friend, but as your saviour, to have that relationship with him, to be given the gift of eternal life and the hope and the plans and the purposes for your life while you're here on earth as well. And if that's your defining moment tonight, that actually you need to say, I give it all to God because I can't do this anymore on my own. I need to place my life in your hands. Then I'm going to pray for you in a moment. I believe that if this year continues as this year has started, that there are going to be many God-defining moments in our individual lives and in the life of the church. We're going to see many defining moments where God says, are you willing? Are you willing, like Esther, to put yourself there? Are you willing to be the person that I've placed at this time, in this place, for this moment? Maybe you're being prepared right now for a defining moment ahead of you. And you need to simply say, I want to get prepared. I want to be ready. I want to be ready when I'm called. And I want to have the courage to say, I put it all on the line for you, Lord Jesus. Let's stand and I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to ask um, the prayer ministry team, could you come out now um, while I'm praying and the bands come back up? That would be great. And we're just, I'm just going to pray for us all. Let me just pray for us all this evening. Father God, I just thank you for that story of Esther and how you used a young Jewish girl, a very unlikely hero to accomplish your purpose and your plan. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that as you look at this room full of people tonight, you see extraordinary gifts, extraordinary things that you want to do through each one of us. I pray, Father God, that you'd help us to have the courage to give our all to you. I pray for those of us who are standing here this evening knowing that this is a defining moment, that we can walk away this evening with life transformation because we've come to know Jesus. I pray, Father God, if that is us tonight, you'd give us courage to choose to trust in you, to believe in you, and to walk with you into eternity.